Actually, I don't really care if you find a seat, but if everyone wants to focus for a second. Um, so we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to start off just, I'm going to share a few words as we start, then the band will come up and do what they normally do. But let me go ahead and open our service with prayer, um, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are constant, no matter what's going on. Lord, that you are the same Today, as you were yesterday, as you were thousands and thousands of years ago, and the same as you will be tomorrow. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And just pray that in these these interesting times that we face, Lord, that we would keep our focus on you. In your name, amen. So, first of all, I just want to start out by welcoming you to Creekside Church. We truly are glad that you're here. Um, it's been an interesting week. Am I right? Um, you know, as a, as a bivocational pastor, I have this, uh, you know, this unique perspective, I'd say, just because on the one hand, I have a pastor's view. So I see what's going on inside our church family. I get to hear from folks. You know, Jake and I talk a lot about, you know, what's happening in our church family, what's happening in the city from a, you know, a, a gospel perspective. And then at the same time, I have a job in corporate America and it also gives me a window, but it gives me a window into more how the world operates. Um, and on Friday, I was in Claremont meeting with one of my clients, and they specifically asked me to come out and talk to their employees about the stock market. Um, you can laugh at that point because, you know, the st- <laughs> it's been a very interesting week in the stock market if you haven't been paying attention. Um, and I, I do this from time to time where they'll ask me, I mean, I, my job, my day job, I work with investments, but mostly with corporations. So I don't interact with individuals a lot other than the individuals that are in, on these boards. Um, but from time to time, I'll go out and talk to, you know, hospital nurses, doctors, lawyers, groups. They'll say, hey, can you come talk to our employees about what's going on? So we'll, we will do that. Um, well, this was group that they wanted me to go talk to was a bunch of sand miners. They mine sand for beaches and for golf courses. So I don't know if you've ever been around miners, like think coal miners, you know, they, they tend to be, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just, this is a reality. They tend to be a little um, rough around the edges at times. Um, and I'm from Polk County, so I know rough around the edges. All right. Um, and so I was, I was expecting a little heckling. You're going out to talk to a group of miners about the stock market. All right. So I was expecting to be heckled as I walked in. Um, and the CEO pulls me in. It's like 7 a.m. in the morning. I'd driven like two hours to get there. And I walk in, and he pulls me aside. He's kind of a rough voice himself. He's like, come over here. So I come over there, and he goes, I don't want you to worry. I've frisked everybody when they came in. <laughs> I was like, wow, that should be fun. Um, but I'm here, so obviously nothing happened. But um, suffice to say, it's been a whirlwind of a week. Would you agree? Um, you know, last Sunday, I think of last Sunday when we were gathered, I don't know that any of us had any idea, you know, what, what this week would bring. Um, I don't know that I've seen anything single-handedly shut down our country like this has. Actually, the world, for that matter. I don't know that I've ever seen anything kind of bring everything to a halt. Um, and I can assure you, as just for your own sake, that as your leaders, as pastors, we spent a lot of time this week praying, seeking the Lord in wisdom, kind of praying through what should we do, watching the governmental mandates, because we want to be honoring to those. Um, you know, are we under the mandates that they're giving? Where, where do we sit here? And so we, we spent a lot of time talking about today. 
Like this moment right here. Should we gather? Should we not gather? Is it safe? Is it prudent? And here's why we landed where we did. And here's why we are gathering today. Because we believe in times like this, maybe even more so than any other Sunday, that you need this gathering. Um, You need to be encouraged. You need to be reminded of the power of the Lord. You need to be reminded that he is your strength, that he is your shield. And we also think that in times like this, the world, if you will, looks to the church, right? They, they look to the heavens. They look to the Lord. They look to the church for, for guidance, for direction. I mean, it's a very rare opportunity where everything in our society that normally people look to for peace, for satisfaction, for entertainment, for distraction has shut down. There's no hockey. There's no baseball. Unfortunately, there's no March Madness. Disney World is closed. Concerts have been canceled. My son's Little League, we got notice this week, it's canceled for a month, right? They're shutting down the beaches. South Beach shut down, probably won't be long with as many people as normally come here for Spring Bank before Clearwater, St. Pete, Daytona, everybody follows suit. The Masters has been postponed. Like, it's, it's unprecedented. And, and we're not even in the thick of it. Right? I mean, nothing's really happened from a quarantine standpoint at this point. And we just think it won't be long before people get to the place in their own lives where they begin focusing on what's important. When your distractions are gone for two weeks and you're asked to stay home, it won't be that long before even us inside the church are kind of evaluating life. Like, what brings me peace? What brings me joy? What, in moments like this, can I rely on the Lord? I could only imagine if I didn't have the Lord right now to rely on. What, what would be going, th- I know what's going through my mind now, and I have the Lord to rely on. I have the comforter. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and I know some of the own, my own fear and panic at times, and I'm like, oh no, you know, I'm, I pray, and the Lord's like, chill. Like, I've got this. This is not a surprise to me. I know exactly what's going on. And I love, as we kind of walk through this, I love history, as you know. And I was going through some old sermons that we had done back when we were walking through the book of John. And there was this sermon that just keeps coming back to mind, this this study that we had done. It was on John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Um, And in that sermon, this was 2018, you can go back and find it. We actually read this passage, I read it to you, from a book called The Rise of Christianity. It's by a guy named Rodney Stark. And in the book, he talks about how the gospel of Christ in the early church, like the book of Acts, obviously it was a little later, but when Christianity spread the most throughout the history of Christianity, if you go all the way back to the early church, what caused Christianity to spread the most? What caused Christ to be known among the nations the most? And he says every single time it was when an epidemic or a pandemic or a virus or something hit all of humanity and that Christians everywhere stood up and said, you need to look to God. Like we're going to not only, not only help it out, they were serving in those times, but they were pointing people. I'm going to read you a little excerpt from that sermon because I read this a year and a half ago. And at the time I'm reading, I'm like, so hard to relate to this. Like he just, it's so hard for us to picture this, but I think it's so much more real. So as we kick off today, I just, I want to read you this. Um, Rodney Stark, Rise of Christianity, says that the largest growth in the early centuries of Christianity can 
can be attributed to the compassion the Christians showed for the sick. He says in 165 AD, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, an epidemic swept through the Roman Empire. The mortality was so high in many cities that caravans of carts hauled away the dead. And all during the 15-year duration, listen to that, 15-year duration of the epidemic, a third of the Roman Empire was gone. Almost 100 years later, in 251 AD, there was another terrible epidemic that struck the Roman world. At its height, 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome, and two-thirds of Alexandria's population passed away. Pagan Rome was completely ill-prepared to help the sick or deal with the mass death. Worse yet, the doctors, pagan priests, and nobles fled infected areas in droves. The best of the Greco-Roman scientists knew of no way to treat the epidemics other than to avoid contact with all those who had the disease. And this they did, often evacuating entire towns. The Christians, however, showed their faith, made life and even death meaningful. During the plague, when nearly everyone else fled, the early Christians risked their lives for one another by simple deeds of washing the sick, offering water and food, and consoling the dying. They supplied food for the poor. In Antioch, the number of poor being fed by the church at one point reached 3,000 every day. Their care for others was so extensive that the emperor Julian eventually tried to copy the church's welfare system. It failed, however, because for the Christians it was love, not duty, that motivated them. At risk of their own lives, they saved an immense number of lives. Their elementary nursing greatly reduced mortality. Simple provisions of food and water allowed the sick that were temporarily too weak to cope for themselves to recover instead of perishing miserably. Christian survivors of the plague now became immune and were able to pass among the afflicted with seemingly invulnerability. The early Christians became, in words of one scholar, a whole force of miracle workers to heal the dying. In the midst of intermittent persecution, in colossal misunderstanding, and in an era when serving others was thought to be demeaning, the followers of the way, instead of fleeing disease and death, went about ministering to the sick and helping the poor, the widowed, the crippled, the blind, the orphaned, and the aged. The people of the Roman Empire were forced to admire their works and dedication and would often say, look how they love one another. We read that exact that exact excerpt from that book, The Rise of Christianity, 18 months ago. And not that it has a ton of, you know, not that we can relate totally today, because that's not, we're not dealing with the same thing. And I'm not trying to act like we are dealing with the same thing. But, but here's what I want to leave you with as we start this service today. We believe that this is a very important opportunity for Christians everywhere to point people to Christ. Like over the next month, we, we don't know what, what that will hold. I'm not asking you to go down to hospitals. I'm not asking you to go out in the streets and do, uh, use your wisdom. It's between you and God what you do. But I do know that Creekside Church will be a part of helping people in this city during this time. Like there is no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't know what that looks like. We're still praying through what that will look like. And I don't want you, my encouragement to you is to just, as you get asked questions, as people come to you, just to point them to Christ and say, look, this is, this is where I find my peace. This is where I find my comfort. And in a moment where many, 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 many people are living in fear, that the world looks to you and says, wow, what, what, what is different? Like, how are you not panicking? How are you not freaking out? Now, inside, you might have a little freak out. I get it, right? But you say, look, I know where my hope is. 
and I know where my refuge is. We're already making steps as a church. We've worked with Tampa Bay Harvest to have food secured if we need it. I want you to call people in our church. There are elderly in this church who will be shut in, who will need you, right? So we, we will help you. We will communicate through email. We will communicate through Facebook. But if it gets to the point where we are quarantined as a church and we can't go out like much, we, will be, we want you to help those around. We want to check in on people. Like this is the best opportunity to, to show the one another's that are outlined so frequently in Scripture. And we just, we want to be a part of that. Um, I'm going to leave you with a few verses, then we're going to have the worship team come up. But just, there's a few verses that, as Jake and I have been talking and leadership has been talking, this is just, we, we think this is a really important time. Um, probably a time like no other. Would you agree? I mean, most of us have not experienced anything like this before, and we just don't want to miss an opportunity to point people to Christ. All right, I'm going to leave you with some verses. Luke 12, 25, 26, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you are not able to do as a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then John 14, Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and sound judgment. And then I'm going to finish with Psalm 91. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he himself will deliver you from the hunter's nest, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrows that fly by the day, the plague that stalks in the darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon, because you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you, no plague will come near your tent. As he is lovingly devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your church. Lord, Creekside Church is your church. Lord, and I just thank you for for what you're doing, what you can do, and what you will do throughout this entire time. Lord, throughout this whole coronavirus time, Lord, we don't know what the future holds. Lord, we know there might be people in this church family who get sick, Lord, and we want to be there for them. There will be people in this city who get sick, Lord, and we want to be there for them. We want to, we want to waste an opportunity to point people to you because we know that throughout history, during times of crisis, people look to you. Lord, and we just thank you for that. We just pray that we would stand strong as your church and we would not show fear to the world, Lord, even though at times we may feel it. Lord, but we would just reflect the goodness of who you are. We would rely on you, rely on your Holy Spirit, the comforter that lives in us. Lord, and we would, above all, we would rest in you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name, amen. Amen.
Well, thank you. And again, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, let's not forget that if you're a first-time visitor, we'd love to have your information recorded. And that means you just fill out a visitor card, place it in our offering box. We do not pass an offering plate here. So the offering boxes are here. And if you forget here, on the way out the door in the lobby is another one. You know, it's so crazy. We're looking at um, what we're doing, and we are still moving along as a church imagining and waiting for the day that we're all back to normal. Um, you all know this service is normally standing room only, and we've been making plans to knock down that back wall. That's still going forward. So not only do I feel we'll have an Easter bump where people come in, but I think we're going to have a I want to get out of the house bump of just people saying I want normality again. So we're preparing for that. That'll add another 50 seats to the sanctuary. So, um, hey, I mentioned to the early service, and I just want to bring it to your attention, the bulletin that you have in front of you that Amy works so diligently on and hard, uh, making sure uh, how T's are crossed and I's are dotted, pretty much ignore everything today. So no, let me just go ahead and walk you through some things. Uh, We've had to cancel or postpone quite a few things. Um, Let me just walk you through. Tonight, there is no, uh, which is not in there, we'd already pulled it, which sounds like bad comedy when I said tonight, we were going to be commissioning our Is Holiday, who's a missionary to where? Northern Italy. That would have gathered a whole great number of people, wouldn't it? You know, uh, that is not going on tonight. We want to respect Is and her family to make sure we get a, a good turnout for that. So we are postponing Is's commissioning. That would have happened today and the dinner tonight at my house for, well, till things settle down. Also, breaks my heart to say it, we are postponing the ladies' brunch. Uh, I know. So it's just, the reason why, folks, is this. I know we look out at the time and we think, you know what? End of March, we might can still make it. The reality is a lot of our folks are not here, including a lot of our senior adults. And it would not be fair for those who either wanted to attend or serve that they are not a part of what's going to be happening. We're a church for everybody. Remember, we're not a church that just does younger things or older things, and we're a church that includes everybody. So anyway, in that heart, we will reschedule. It's not a cancellation, it's a reschedule. Amy will be out in the lobby if, as we're, if we're here next week or wherever, we're going to be, um, we can get you the, uh, if you just want us to hold on to it or um, uh, we'll give you a check back. She has not deposited the money from the week. So that's what's going on. Um, small groups, small groups, Continue to just pray about if you'd like to small group leaders. If you want to just connect with your group and uh, and and still meet, you more than welcome. That is up to you guys. You guys have that ability. Let me just give you plant a few seeds of a couple things. We uh, are going to have prayer night this Wednesday night. We're going to move the prayer night just in case there's anything about being in a a room or some new regulations coming. We're just going to go ahead and tentatively say, but I want you to look for an email that will go out probably Monday afternoon. Um, That'll be the next big press conference right at noon on Monday. We will send out an email indicating where it'll be if we're going to have. If we do, it will be at my house. So if we do, the prayer night will be at my house at 630. That means come wearing shorts and a t-shirt. It's going to be hot. We're going to be hanging out there with some trees, loving that our hour of prayer at the house, and uh, that'll be going on then. In the event that we are, see, we are. By the way, if you're wondering how we're we're meeting and other churches maybe are not meeting, we fall under the parameters of 250 in a room. If we were at our new church, which is still moving along, we could not. 
uh, meat, according to CDC regulations. Uh, but we fall within that range, so we're okay. Um, if they, if those changes happen and there is any type of an opportunity to still allow you to worship, we still do have my backyard. So anyway, uh, it may not come in a form of Creekside, but it may come in a form of, hey, you know, Jake says y'all come and you can come, but we're only going to do that unless, if we're, if, if we have the open parameters. I mean, if we're under like isolation and, you know, whatever, uh, we're not going to break, you know, um, insane um, regulations according to health codes and stuff like that. When we get by sick, but you can see what we're going to try to do. We're trying to do everything we can to. I needed this. This is just jacked up out there. I mean, you sit there and think you can't meet, but yet you know you read on the news that they had that the fire department had to go into Hard Rock Casino and ask five hundred people to leave because they were over capacity. Every restaurant on Friday night had an hour wait. You can't get a parking spot in a mall, but yet you can't assemble. I don't understand. And it's frustrating. It is, it is, it is. Um, but I will say this. Um, that it is real, right? And what's interesting is we're all in this boat together. Just when I start thinking, man, we missed out on that, that brunch coming up. Golly, we missed out on this. You know, the reality is every other church is feeling our pain. We're not just Florida under the imminent domain, an imminent threat of a hurricane, and well, California's you know having a party. No, they're in the same boat. And by the way, so is the Middle East, so is Europe, so is Asia, and even Australia. You sit there and think, we when's the last time this world has been in this, in everything together? And just uh, it's interesting. So, what is going to going to come out of it? I'm not tweaked the message to deliver for this time and era we're keeping things normal is going we're plugging along right in the book of acts and we're going to be in the books in, in the book of uh, of acts chapter 8 but i'm going to pray but i'm going to pray because the virus has hit home to our church in a way and i'm going to tell you on a uh, on the front end of this um of the statement that donna whitmore whose daughter has been afflicted with Corona. She, Donna she's at home. Donna has not had contact with her daughter, physical contact. Her daughter was with a group of over 30 students, 32 students from Nova University who went to Ireland on a mission trip. They came back last week. Six were gravely ill and two were immediately admitted into ICU. One of them is not doing well. She's on oxygen. She's 20 years old, no health record of record of, of ill health. And Carrie, her daughter, um, when they flew in, the medical teams had foresight to recognize this could be corona and wouldn't let any family interaction at all happen. So thank God Donna and her other kids were not exposed. Um, but you can imagine the trauma of a mother not being able to be in a room with her daughter. So Carrie has been admitted to the hospital, is being admitted right now as we speak. And you know, we're, that means we're not far removed from knowing somebody has been afflicted. But again, it was pertaining to a trip, a group trip. Someone caught it in Ireland and brought it back, and that you know, now that country is being closed off. So, if you'd remember Carrie Whitmore in your prayers, please. And also, um, Shira is the name of the girl who's 20 years old, who is um, in ICU, who's not doing well. Shira, and then Carrie. I want to do this one thing real quick. If you're in a medical field of nurse, tech, doctor, PA, whatever, and you're working in a medical environment, would you raise your hand real quick? Would you just raise your hand so um, you guys are the ones that need prayer too? I can't even imagine what your days are looking like. I cannot imagine how, if we want normality, I cannot even imagine what it's like for you. So in the midst of everybody praying for everybody, we, don't, we just want to lift you guys up and say thanks for what you do. 
thank you so much. So let's just do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we get to pray. Um, let's pray first and foremost for Carrie, Lord. We just pray that, um, that Lord, Carrie feels this virus move through her quickly, that, Father, she feels better, the symptoms are not as strong, that, God, you would just give uh, the ability for not only medical professionals, but your ability to heal, to make Carrie well. And for Shira, Lord, we pray for her in ICU right now that she's able to be taken off um, oxygen and being able to just start recovering uh, quickly, Lord. Pray for the families, pray for Donna, pray for um, Erica, pray, pray for those who cannot go to see Carrie right now, that, Lord, you would just uh, have your hand on them. Lord, we just pray for the medical team in here, uh, that that uh, 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 the group in here that work in medical and offices and, and uh, ERs, doctor's offices, hospitals. God, I just look around the room and see all my friends who do what they do and cannot imagine the hours and the shifts in which they are working. God, strengthen them, please. And Lord, please speak through me in this message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into verse uh, 4 of chapter 8, and let's do a little review. If you're new here, we walk verse by verse, and uh, uh, sometimes we stop and hunker down on a verse, and sometimes we, you know, we'll, we'll hunker down on a few of them. So anyway, we left off last week with Stephen was one of the, the first martyr of the church. Stephen was killed for his faith. He was executed, stoned to death. Um, Jesus, he saw Jesus standing in excitement over the fact that, that 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 Jesus was so proud of what Stephen had done that you know this was a um, a beautiful picture of someone laying down their life, and then it said as we're closing through, Saul began ravaging, ravaging almost like an animal ravaging uh, its prey, ravaging throughout villages and towns and different townships looking for those belonging to this radical group known as the way this radical group of we weren't called christians at the time but those following christ and saul begins this persecution so this is critical if you're to write down one thing today one thing that you would take away is this the growth of the church the early church, its growth, it spread throughout continents within the lifetime of the disciples was attributed to a very important factor. Here it is, persecution. Persecution is what grew the church. As a matter of fact, when you look at the New Testament, you see churches who are persecuted writing to other churches who are persecuted. You see people writing to persecuted churches. You see persecuted churches writing to other people. There's a constant um, dynamic of people coming together. This is what's happening right now. Persecuted churches and Christians are some of the hotbeds of culture in 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 uh, in, the, in the growth of Christianity. I'm just going to be the first one to be vulnerable up here and tell you. Part of my stomach gets a knot in it when I keep thinking, man, we're all, you know we were kicking, we were. I mean, God is just moving in here. Look, knocking down a wall. We got this brunch coming up that's really awesome. You get to see the picture of men serving ladies and ladies coming together. But you know that is nothing in comparison to what God can do by breaking our normal routine. Because guess what happens? As we go on in our normal routine, you know what happens the next month? We forget what we did, which is why program-based ministry stinks. Whenever you see sometimes we're this event and this event and this event, we try not to have too many of these events. Why? Because you're only as good as the next event. 
and the last event. We don't want to be that way. We want to have a culture. And I think God is going to use this to, to really break down these cultural things we do. And that means we may have to do things differently and how to minister differently. It's a blessing to walk next door to our uh, to the food pantry and look at Tampa Bay Harvest and see many of you in there serving. I see some of you guys in there serving during the week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You don't even wait for a Saturday of service we have over there. You're handing out food. And even those who come to get food are in a routine. I'll go fill up my pantry. I'll go here. I'll get some free food. I'll take it home, put it in the cabinets. Well, you know, we think about this. The poor are there, and then there's some poor, more poor over here. Then you go overseas, and there's even more poor. What's amazing is all of us, no matter how rich or how poor you are, can still have your world rocked by something. And I think we have an opportunity to be able to do something we haven't done in a long time. To be a committee of one and to respond to people's needs, even the most basic needs, to let them know they're not alone. You know, Diane Mason, she goes to early service, I'm not trying to call her out. I didn't do it at the first service, but I will hear one of the most impactful things she ever said to me. She walked in and she said, you know, when it comes to... Uh, loving on people in a church. I know there's like meal trains you do and you try to organize meals for people. She said this. She said, you know, I've been on the other end and sometimes I wish somebody would just stop by over the rotisserie chicken to let me know that I'm missed. And she was so gracious. She said this, but you know, I haven't done that myself. So that's the beauty. There's always people with ideas, but not enough people with solutions, Right. And I think this gives us an opportunity to create a solution. Churches have been full of ideas, and you can count us in it. What are we going to do? We're going to love on the poor. Shucks, we'll even know the poor. We're going to love on, on, on this person. We're going to love on this person. We don't even know who they are. May this be an opportunity for us to go out and do something. I can tell you one thing, and I, didn't, I haven't consulted leadership on this, but I'd like to say if we do not meet and we're not allowed to meet, you're not going to hear me get up here and give a message and look to you and on video and say, this is what's going. No, you can look up about a hundred thousand other more intelligent pastors to look up, watch him or watch, watch, watch somebody who's, who's an inspirational leader in your life and then go out and do something as best you can do from your home. Be a church first to Christ then second to Creekside. God will handle Creekside. He's done that before, but here, a persecuted church is growing, and it's growing very fastly. It is growing, and it has all the bumps and bruises any growing church would have. Look with me in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and they saw signs that he did, for unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, so there was so much joy in that city. End of story. The end. We should all go home. No, it doesn't end there. You see these verses are popping out. Incredible things are happening. Lame people are walking. Unclean spirits, demonic spirits are breaking and literally coming out of people. And everybody is excited. Who wouldn't be? 
Go back to verse 4, though. This is what it says here in verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. If you read this just on its text right here, you would think, man, a, a, like a gun went off and people scattered. Actually, what's interesting and how it's written was this. Now, those who were scattered now take the word and use it as the Bible's actually writing. It says to scatter seeds. So if you were to go along planting something, you would scatter seeds in a certain formation. You would scatter them. This is actually how it's being written. God says this, now as I am scattering these seeds, they went about preaching the word. See, what one person looks at as persecution, like, oh, the poor thing. Another one, God looks at it as an opportunity. If you ever get a chance to look at, I always say, it's always page 12 in the New York Times. You know, when you go to page 12 is when you start seeing real news. Sensationalism pops up all over the place, but you go to page proverbial, page 12, 13, 14, and you will see what's going on in the world. One of these cities that some of you may have heard of is called Aleppo in Syria. Aleppo is a city in Syria that was once a beautiful, thriving city that was has been the most urbanly bombed city of our modern day. Aleppo was a thriving city of over a million people, um, several hundred thousand people had to leave. There are no roofs left in Aleppo. It's all tarps. Every, it's continually bombed even right now. Russian-supported Syrian-backed troops are continually to bomb, and there were a multitude and a collection of Christian churches in Aleppo. And then they did something. They came together. I mean, that's a, that's a new one, right? Imagine if we did that. But these churches came together. And they petitioned this Swiss agency who helps persecuted and war-torn Christians. You know what their statement was? Not can you get us out of here. Not can you supply us with enough supplies to keep us okay. Would you consider giving us enough food, blankets, and clothing for distribution to, our, to the other, other people in the city? The Swiss agency replied, funneled a large amount of money into him. Less than 1,000 Christians right now, this morning, last night, less than 1,000 Christians coming together in this conglomeration of Christian churches in this bombed-out city, a city in which exists right now as we we breathe, is feeding and clothing and monitoring in health capacities 120,000 Muslims. It started out as 80,000, now to 120,000, and guess what's happening? The ranks of the believers are growing. You could practically quote that out of the book of Acts. Oh, and then the ranks of the believers are growing. This is what happens when bad things happen, good things can come up. You know, I can't wait, by the way, to scroll down Facebook and see some hidden video of somebody giving somebody a roll of toilet paper for crying out loud. (laughs) I mean, there's got to be something good to come out of this. God will make something good, and he'll use people like us. And so let's just continue to break this down. It says here, um, verse, go to verse 5, it says, Philip went down to Samaria. You know, I mean, when you talk about Samaritans, these are people who are not looked upon very highly. What is Samaria? Well, Samaria... Um, if you were to ask a Jew at the time, they would say a Samaritan is a half-breed. A Samaritan was not somebody who they would have associated with. Why? 
for several reasons. Number one, they were um, they were considered a half breed because they were interbred with another group of people, and secondly, they were not a Jew. So what happened is the Assyrians invaded and took the northern ten tribes captive interbred with them, and had children. Those children are the Samaritans. They created their own land. They created their own temple. They created their own whole way of life. So a Samaritan would never expect to receive the word of God from a Jew. Never. But watch what happens um, as, uh, as they begin moving to Samaria. Verse 9. But there is a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. That sounds like a really nice guy, right? But I hung around people like that. I'll talk about how great they are. Now, you're going to get excited when you read these next few verses and think, oh, yeah, man, we've reached somebody. But watch what happens to Simon. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him. Because for a long time, he'd amazed them with his magic. And they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Um. Let me stop right here real quick, because it's going to get into another thought. This man, Simon, is a man not only so immersed in himself, not only so in love with who he is, other people are in love with him too. This was not some um, two-rate magician in a small town. Simon, as a matter of fact, was so well known that at the time, in one of the earlier verses, it has a quote that he's one of the greatest. I think it was, uh, the quote says, this man is the power of God and is called great. That quote, where it came from in the Bible, actually came from a statue that stood in Rome at the time he was living to Simon. They had a statue of him that, de- that declared that he was a god. They said, this guy could do anything. I mean, his magic, his ability to cast spells were something else. And meanwhile, Simon sees what's going on. And he's like, wow, I want to become a believer. I mean, this is great news, right? This is awesome. Let's see where this goes. And so now verse 14, to repeat 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Don't lose sight of that verse. When the apostles of Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they send two of their greatest ones in there. This is huge. Had you gone to a synagogue and said, hey, let's send a mission team to Samaria, get out of here. Samaritans, half-breeds, no, we're not going there. As a matter of fact, God's word isn't even meant for them. This is now the new radical sect of Judaism, this this way, these followers of Christ. Hey, the word of God has gone to Samaria. What happens? Immediately send the very best. Go. And so they start, they go and they they send these two down there in verse 15. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit had given through the laying on the hands of the apostles, what did he do? He offered them money. How about that? Can you imagine that? I I can only imagine there are still people that do this. 
So have you ever been treated in a condescending way? Where it's just like, what, what did you mean by that? I remember one time I was going to preach a wedding. And, and I mean, it was one of those, sometimes weddings are easy and sometimes they're not. There's no middle ground. I just think they're just, uh, they're fun weddings and there's weddings that are just draining. You know, the bridezilla thing, all those, those things are very real. And this father comes up to me. He walks up, just kind of an irreverent kind of a Joe, you know, and he walks up to me. I remember where I was, Palmasia Baptist Church, highfalutin, South Tampa wedding. No offense, South Tampa. But anyway, <laughs> he walks up to me, and he, he walks up, he plays on my lapel, and he pulls out some money, pops it in my coat, taps it, and says, I'm sure you're going to do a good job, the father. I'm like, you... Like, really? You know? And don't think I'm not thinking, well, it's kind of thick. It might be all right. But I'm like, you know, I'm not going to look. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was nice. Got him. Um, so, I, 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 you know, it wasn't a lot of money. I'm like, it was like, oh, it's nice of him. I wouldn't expect it, but it was nice, but it wasn't. Can I tell you something? It didn't deserve that. I'm sure you can do a great job. What am I, some kind of a hired gun? You know, like, what would, what, how demeaning. This is Simon walking up going, man, look at this healing going on. This is incredible. I'll, how much you want for that? I mean, this is absurd. You can't get this. Steve, if I walked up to you and say, man, I know you work out all the time. I want to look like you do. How much money? But I don't want to do the work. You think about the absurdity of saying, I want, I want right now, you to give me these gifts. This is, by the way, something that is indicative of people today. You ready for this? There are two types of people when it comes to Christ. Those who love the God of miracles and those who love the miracles of God. There are people who love the God of hope and there are people who love the hope of God. I preached a funeral yesterday and I can tell you I looked out at the room and there probably wasn't one person who wasn't hoping on the hope of God. But at the end of the day, they'll forget about him and they walk away. Simon is somebody who's saying, I-, I want these powers for what? Not the glory of God, but the glory of me. If we're not careful, you can become a believer. You hear me? A teacher? A preacher? In the word of God and misuse it for your own testimony, your own benefit. You can walk around and say, well, you know what? I did sound pretty good. I did sound like I was intelligent. I did sound... And what we do is we may not try to buy it with money, but we buy it with reputation. Be very careful. They call that, as a matter of fact, um, it's called the hero effect. And when I went through counseling, I was going through counseling, my counselor is very clear to walk me through and understand you need to be very careful not to be the person that you always bring the gospel back to what you've done and who you are. See, that is what we see done. If it's a slow fade in churches, you begin to see sometimes people exemplify themselves as saying, well, I did this and I did this and look at me and this. And, And I hope you understand, I hope you see, if you ever see me do that, check me in the spirit. I will probably always fall on the side of showing you my inabilities and to show you that there's a lot of things in myself I need to work on. But 
Simon, in this case, is not looking at reputation right away. He's looking at money. He's looking at financial gain. What can I do? Keep walking with me, verse 19. It says, um, saying, he says this, Give me this power also so that anyone who mind lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me, pray for me right now to the Lord that nothing of what you said may, may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans. So this scene went on, and, and all of a sudden you see you see these men look at Simon and say, How dare you? As a matter of fact, any of you in here would there some of you may have a version that literally translate this. Here's exactly what it says. To hell with your money. It's exactly what they're saying in this case. How dare you even think you could buy your way into this place, buy your way into the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this discussion goes on. And actually, it's interesting. It's actually, um, those of you history students, you may have heard the students called a simony. A simony means this. Simony means you buy your position in leadership in a church. Popes would do this. It was actually a word used to describe a transaction. If you wanted to be a pope, you had to pay a simony, which was derived from this man, to attain the right to be pope. And if you were pope and you wanted to sell the position, guess what you did? You took a simony from another wealthy man and became what you gave him the ability to be pope. Can you imagine that's what your name was good for, was that? And here you look at this. You you look at these, at, at, at this if you're not careful, you can look at a church that does this, that only equips those in power. And you watch that. You watch it. You be careful of a church that ever looks at a place and say, you know what, our finance committee is made up of all people and who provided, proved themselves successful. And that, well, that's nice. But you need broken hearts and broken lives on committees. That's what we need. A committee, a church should always, always highlight those who don't just merely get in the position because positional power or authority. Sorry, that's my little <laughs> sidebar rabbit trail. Keep looking with me in verse 26. Jen, our baby sounds beautiful, by the way. Our church will never give a scowl over a crying baby, so uh, unless they're too loud, then we will. No, no. No. Verse 26. So we turn from one example now to another. Um, before I read this, can I stop real quick and explain something? If you ever read through the book of Acts and you see that the baptisms mentioned in different fast areas, this is a, this is a good example of baptism, but there is baptism mentioned many different styles and ways in the book of Acts. We do not believe you draw your theology from the book of Acts. Acts is a guiding book in the Bible, a book canonized, wholly inspired in Scripture, but we do not draw the theology of baptism from the book of Acts because it deals a lot with the being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being baptized. We believe in water immersion baptism, but I'll also be very clear to tell you there is no magic in baptism. Let me give you the little 
bit of background, if I could take just a second to explain. There was a ceremony the Jews had called a mikvah. Mikvah was this. It was a body of water that if you defiled yourself or you were in sin and you wanted to be clean, you were, you were walked into this body of water called the mikvah and you came out new, symbolically new. When Jesus was baptized and set the example to be baptized under John the Baptist, he was immersed in baptism. Which is why whenever we baptize people, we say, what, you were buried with Christ into death, raised to walk in a brand new life. It's a picture. While there's nothing magical baptism, and I will also go on record to say this, we believe this as a church as well, there's nothing about baptism that attributes anything to your salvation. It is a sign of your salvation. It is not, you do, if you are not baptized and you are saved, it does not affect your salvation. Be very clear. But, sal- but baptism is a beautiful act of obedience. Like we said earlier about this virus thing going on, we're all in a boat together. We're having this experience. This is the beauty about baptism. We are all in the boat together. I remember I was 23 years old when I went forward to get saved. It was a mass amount of confusion when I went to get saved. It was at uh, um, Chamberlain High School with Ida Wilde 30 years ago or 28 years ago. I go... Go forward. The guy starts to pray with me to receive Christ. I think he's putting words in my mouth. I even stop a mid-sentence prayer, you know, really weird. And I'm like, this is, what are you doing? I mean, I just couldn't understand what was going on. Long story short, they walk through a personal decision in Christ, what it means, and come back Wednesday night and be baptized. I'm like, fat chance. That's not happening. That goes on with little kids. I'm not getting baptized. No, come in. And they sat down and talked with me. Monday, I was going to do it Tuesday. I wasn't going to do it Wednesday. I showed up. Henry Bieber baptized me. Some of you guys know Henry, Pastor Henry, baptized me at the old Hannon Highland location at Idlewild, the old small building. And sure enough, I was baptized with what? A five-year-old. I thought that was interesting. So uh, me and a five-year-old that we were always told, you're going to bond with those you're baptized with. I have no idea who that five-year-old kid is. And, um, and it, but it was a moment though, that I put on my white robe, which I always like kind of liked. And but I remember feeling this. I felt like no one would ask me in that robe how much I made, what I did, how intelligent I was, and didn't care what I looked like. I was accepted. And so you have to remember this. There's, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, wow, you know, we are all together. But for a guy like me who's insecure, as a kid, I always wondered when I get picked for the team as a, in the Little League, the very fact that you would allow me into your boat was something else. And never, ever, ever surrender that thought or forget that thought, that when God is telling you to be obedient to go to speak to someone, don't go with your insecurities. Don't go thinking, I have nothing to offer this person. Go in there understanding that God is pulling them in, thinking there's no way, no way they deserve to have your time and your company. Look at it that way. God, he pairs things well. If you were to ask me what is the absolute Everest of who I am and my happiness as an individual, here it is. You ready? It's watching people connect. It's watching awesome people connect with awesome people. I thrive on it. And by the way, not to sound pompous, I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) I really kind of know, like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I have set up more couples to be married. I had to, I mean, I, you know, Cameron and Chaley, I wouldn't have pegged y'all, but I really think it's going great. But so I would, I love watching people come together. I love watching this thing. And by the way, I'm just using my discernment and love for you. Imagine what God would do. 
when he calls someone to himself and calls you in an act of obedience to, to move together, he knows what he's doing. And he's going to bring you with your ability to fish. He's going to bring your ability to cook. He's going to bring your ability to sing. He's going to bring your abilities together, and he is going to watch something happen. Here's a perfect example of that. Here we are, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And a spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Stop right here because there's a whole lot I want to go over. First of all, he says, hey, Philip, I want you to go to this place. It's a desert place. It is a place, by the way, of no well, no water. It is a place that's isolated. This man, this eunuch, who, by the way, is an Ethiopian eunuch. What does that mean? Oh, by the way, to a Jew, he's not a Samaritan half-breed. He's a full-on African. You're going to tell... You're going to tell a Jewish person of olive skin to go talk to an African Ethiopian is not, no, no way. But the Holy Spirit can do something amazing. And the fact is, he says, I want you to go over here to this place. It's a desert place. And I want you to go to this place, and I want you to interact, and I want you to talk to this Ethiopian. He's an Ethiopian eunuch serving under Candace the queen, and he's going to be sitting in his chariot reading about me. And so what does, he, what does Philip do when he hears this? All right, you want me to go to a place, it's a, des, it's a desert place, which means it'll probably be pretty rough. You want me to go speak to an African in public. He's a eunuch that we're not allowed to really um, talk to, and he's a member of the royal court. What did he do? He ran. Philip immediately runs over. He runs over, and there in this chariot, by the way, one of Queen Candace's uh, uh, big um, chariots, is sending this man reading the book of Isaiah. Here's what's interesting. He was a Jew. This Ethiopian was not born a Jew. He chose to become a Jew. So he's going to Jerusalem or coming back from Jerusalem, probably coming back. In this place, he's reading the book of Isaiah. Understand, this scroll that he would have been reading was 27 feet long, minimum, sometimes up to 45 feet long. He's reading through there, and he goes, he's desperately searching in the book of Isaiah. Why? Why is he searching? Why is he looking at the book of Isaiah? Why would this man who everyone who ever followed the first five books of the Bible, whatever anybody would look at the Pentateuch and say this, a eunuch, according to Deuteronomy, was never allowed to enter the court of God. The conservative Jews would have made fun of eunuchs, would have made fun of a black man trying to become a Jew. And meanwhile, there, do not lose so do not lose sight of this. There is this black Jewish believing man reading in a deserted place by no accident, probably because no one else would see, unrolling this massive scroll as long as this room, trying to look in the book of Isaiah for this promise that he heard. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? What promise was he looking for? 
Look with me in Isaiah 56, in verses that mean nothing to us, but meant everything to him. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And not, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verses that meant nothing to most eyes, including ours. A eunuch who now, when he loses his place of position, will know he will die without sons and daughters and will be alone. And the Bible says to him, I will build you a monument greater than sons and daughters, for the eunuch is not alone. No doubt he's in Jerusalem. And someone told him. Someone looked at him and said, do you know what? You're okay. Look at the book of Isaiah. And he's, they're telling him this, and no doubt he spent all his money on this scroll, and he's desperately searching for it, looking for it. Philip walks up to him, and he says, um, what, what are you reading? Do you know? He goes, I don't know what I'm reading. He says, would you come? He says, well, let me come up there and sit with you. And he does in verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading at the time was this. And this is, by the way, is Isaiah 53. He says, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It's a prophetic writing of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so he looks at him and he says this, this is about Jesus that I serve. An Ethiopian eunuch is one who will tell me what is this about. You got to remember, Ethiopian, ever says he works for a queen named Candace. That was the mother of the king. Candace was a title like Pharaoh. It was given to anybody. It was, there were lots of Candaces over time. But this was a very wealthy king who viewed himself as a sun god. And so the eunuch would have been trusted not only in the, the chambers with princesses and the queens, he would have been trusted with the treasury, would have been trusted with incredible information. This man is a man who's incredibly intelligent, who's on a spiritual journey, and now Philip walks through and says, this is what it means. It means, well, let me tell you what he says. He says here, verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So they're right along in the chariot. He says, stop, stop the chariot. There's, uh, after he hears about what it means to be saved, 
See, Isaiah talks about this. Um, it's called substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice means up to that point, if you had a lamb, a goat, an animal, you would take it and the, the, the priest would check its bones to make sure everything, nothing's broken, and that animal would be sacrificed. In this particular case, he gets it. He says, is he talking about himself? Is this what he means? He says, yeah, he's talking. Yeah, you mean heaven is going to make a sacrifice to us? What? Yeah. Philip walks through it. He says, here's what happens. You and I don't have to sacrifice anymore. God said, I am now going to sacrifice to you. He turned north to south and south to north. He said, this heavenly sacrifice is meant for us. He was so overwhelmed by this. He said, stop the chariot. I mean, for God's sake, if that's what he did for me, baptize me right now. And he does. I don't know if you had caught in here, there's no verse 37. So verse 37, it just jumps from 36 to verse 38. If some of your Bibles do have 37, it's just because older manuscripts do not include verse 37. And all it basically says is, um, and Philip said, let's go, or let's believe him, or something. There's, there's nothing antithetical to Scripture in there. So if you're, verse, if, if you're not carrying an unholy Scripture, if you have verse 37, is what I'm saying. And did you notice, by the way, that it says the Holy Spirit was done with him as soon as the baptism, and it said, Holy Spirit said, uh, Philip, you're coming with me, and what happened? Philip disappeared. Philip was gone, and Philip was moved to another area. That's a mode of transportation I can buy into. I'll pay that half penny tax on that one. I mean, this thing is, he's just gone. This is the power of the Holy Spirit building his church. This is what he does. Now, I want to bring it to us. You and I live in a society where people try to buy their way into religion, through reputation, through money, through privilege, and that kind of thing. That connects. We live in a place where people are asking questions. Last Friday, or Thursday night, went out with some Indian and had a new friend come along. And it was interesting. He said, yeah, I really want to talk to you about some spiritual things. I want to talk to you about some, some things. I met this guy. Um, I met him a couple of years ago. I saw him at a wedding. He was a groomsman. And he said, hey, I have some questions for you. And every time we tried to get, hook, look up and meet up and talk, it just we just never got to these discussions. And so he says, I just have some spiritual questions. Like, well, yeah, okay, so it's going to be you and I. We're going to go meet and talk. And so we go meet. And... Um, he says this, he says, now imagine, I equate this to be you're a car salesman, and somebody walks in with 20 grand in cash and says, I need to buy a car within the hour. I mean, you're like, are you kidding me? This is too easy. I, as a believer, listen listen to this. He says, yeah, I understand. I've been drawn to this whole God thing and trying to read the Bible, but I understand there's something about like a... Um, I really feel like this needs to be a personal matter with me and God, and I think there's a relationship I need to enter, and I think there's some forgiveness that i got to go through. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, throw me a better softball, really. I mean, if I screw this up right now, I am, like, not saved. You know, I'm like, he's saying everything. And I'm like, well, let's just talk. And we sit down, and we start talking, and we're outside. All of a sudden, this table, boom, hits. Another table right next to us. Folks, I got these people over here yelling, screaming. They couldn't be more obnoxious. Yeah, GD this and this. And I got like a sorority party going on to my left. It was so loud. I couldn't hear. We're on my gut. I was like, we got to get up. So we go out. We go to the parking lot. And I'm like, 
That happens every time I start talking about Christ. I, it's nuts. I'll be in a hospital about to pray with someone. In comes, boom, here comes a cleaning crew coming in. They haven't been in all week. I mean, here come, you know, you sure you don't want another meal? I'm like, get out. You call somebody at a restaurant, the server who's ignored you the whole time, comes up with three iced tea. This happens. I know you, you can look at me and think I'm a loon, but this is what happens in the spiritual realm. And I'm watching, and I'm like, come on. And so I walk through and talk to him about these matters and the beautiful thing that happens in, in the discussion and what happens in his life. And I realized there was a movement to keep him from buying in, from getting it. But you have to remember, the same way I told you that your insecurities can be brought to someone else's insecurities and merged together because the Holy Spirit does it. He still brings people to us. You just have to listen. And you have to be careful that sometimes a noise is going on your right and your left is actually going on in your mind, saying, I'm too busy. I'm not aware. God still makes divine appointments. Now, I want to close with these four thoughts. Here it is. I've got them on the screen because I think all of us in here fall in this area. Number one, when living it for him, our desire becomes, ready? To open, um, be open to bring the message of Christ when the Holy Spirit directs us. This is called obedience. When the Holy Spirit moves in you, this is called obedience. Secondly, to make clear from God's word what others cannot understand. That is called discipleship. Folks, I am terrible at discipleship. Be the first one to tell you. I'm a good netcaster. I can. I'm good. I, I, I like to bring people together. I like to connect people. But if you sat down with me for 8, 10, 12 weeks, I am not as, I, I don't know what it is. I've tried discipling people and walking through. And, 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 and I say that in vulnerability and for you to understand something. You don't have to be everything. If I can stand up here and be honest with you, you can be honest, right? Some people are better at evangelism. Then they are a discipleship. Some people are better at discipleship than they are evangelism. Thirdly, to come alongside others to share in our success. Man, this is mentorship. Never underestimate what it means to be a mentor to someone. To come alongside and say, I'm going to use my abilities to do this and this, and come alongside. And for those of you who are older, and I know we're missing a lot of our older folks today, and I hope they're going to listen to this message. Ready? Do not underestimate the ability you have to share in your wisdom from where you've been and what you've done. And I guarantee you, you're going to have this thought. No one's going to want to listen to me. That is why when we started this church, we broke the core and said we will not have a senior adult. We will not, have a, we will, we will not segregate our social interactions and our Bible studies, like home groups. We interact as much as we can. If you see me all the time making sure I'm trying to, I'm looking to make sure younger, older, kind of moving around, because it's tendency to click together. And that's okay. You always end up going out to lunch with people you know, and I'm not not trying to torpedo everything and who you are. But hear me. You have a lot to offer. And deep down, if you're older, you know you want the vigor and the fire and the passion from a younger person as well. When my dad was in the hospital years ago, had his both knee replacements, right? And both knees replaced. 
He will, I don't care if I visit him, my mom was there, spending the, all he'll remember is this. I remember when those college kids came into my hospital room. That's all he talks about. I remember when those three young men came into that hospital room. What it meant to him, what you in your youth can bring to people and what you who are in, in your wise years can bring to those is a beautiful thing. Mentorship. We always talk about evangelism, discipleship. Folks, we leave out a huge word. Paul, when he said, send me Timothy, send me the young man who I need his encouragement. Don't deny that. And fourthly, how about this one? Every one of us can do this. To create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. That is called friendship. That's what you and I have an opportunity to do. You know, we are called to love the widows and the orphans. Some widows in our ministry are blessed to have some people around them and friends, but they still need and, and deserve to be touched and, and, and visited and loved on. We have a widow, Peggy Gruber, who has no family, none. The day she joined the church, sitting right over there, she went home and had a, uh, fell and, and hurt her hip. She's been home now for four months and cannot leave home. Call the church office and say, hey, what's Peggy's phone number? You go visit Peggy. You go hang out with her. She will keep you there for an hour, and she will tell you you are her family. Friendship. What it means when you go to lunch or you go somewhere and you pull someone alongside and say, hey, I'd love for you to be along. The, the greatest thrill you could give me as a pastor is this, is you to walk up to somebody you don't know and say, I don't know you, but I'd like to get to know you. Okay, and I know we're in the middle of a viral plague or whatever, but... You know what I mean. So imagine imagine if we took on the role. Disciples, I need you. Evangelists, I need you. Mentors, I need you. Friends, I need you. The foundation of those purposes and those positions will build a church and equip a church like no other. I didn't mention one program didn't mention one calendar event. If we want to be like the early church, it's this, dependency on the Holy Spirit and go back to the simple things, us, what God can do through you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you, Father, that we have the ability to come to you and worship today. Lord, we're grateful for today. No matter what goes on in the coming days for this last bit, life seemed a little bit more normal. It seemed back to uh, the dependency of, on your word. And Father, for that, we're grateful. Guide us, we pray, in what to do, what steps to take. And Father, as always, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, has questions about what it means to be saved and born again, just like that eunuch had, Father, they would ask the best minister they know, the person that brought them or simply come up to one of us and just ask us how that's done. Even for the area of baptism, that, Lord, you would continue to put that, that in front of people for not the conviction of guilt, but for the conviction of obedience, of coming alongside. Lord, that's all up to you. Lord, for the area of um, what to do as a church, would you guide us and direct us? Lord, show me exactly, as well as the other leaders, what steps to take but Father, thanks for each one that's here. Thanks for those who, who knew maybe it was best to stay at home. 
Lord, we do pray that we build each home as the greatest ministry that someone will know. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.